Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight is one of my regular panel, Three Moves Ahead founder and PR flack, Troy Goodfellow. <laughs> Hello, Rob. Good to be back on the show. It's been a while. You know, I'm never going to stop uh, packing salt into the PR wound, by the way. Look, I don't like it any more than you That's the best PR's. way to preserve it. Yes. You're going to chase me out of PR, Rob. We are also joined by a returning guest, Dave Heron, producer-designer at XMG Studio. Dave, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I'm excited to talk about a specific game this time. And finally, we're joined by first-time guest and uh, someone that I've always been a big fan of, uh, Director of Editorial and Social Media for PopCap, Jeff Green. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. I am glad to be here. I am a fan of this podcast, so it, it's, it's an honor to be talking to you guys. But it's not just mutual admiration that unites us. It's mutual love of civilization. And uh, since Civilization V recently got an expansion, it seemed like a good time to revisit uh, what was actually a fairly controversial sequel uh, in the Civilization franchise. So, uh, you know, Jeff, I wanted to start with you because you specifically said on Twitter that Civilization V was a miss for you. And Gods and Kings is kind of the game that brought you back to it. Yeah. It's it's definitely true, and I mean, it, it, the the initial sort of gut gut reaction I had, the thing that turned me was was religion being back, um, because that was always a huge thing for me. And I don't know. I mean, we'll go into it as we keep talking here. But there was this this is the first Civ for me, Civ Five that or the the original vanilla version that just I felt like maybe now maybe. I've, I'm too old for this franchise. It, it was like too many changes for me. You know, I was used to the game that I grew up with, starting with the first Civ, and this one just felt a little too alien to me. It felt, and the specific thing that I, I was really not digging at the beginning, and I'll be honest, in that I gave up on it um, really early. Um, like, I don't even know if I completed a, an entire game, because I just, it felt too confined to me, or I felt like my play style was too confined. I felt more like I had to make early decisions on which way I was going to go, and I couldn't really deviate from it. You know, I, it had much less of an open feel, much less of a, a feel that I could change my strategy as I went. Um, and I felt like I paid for it by not doing it, and it just bummed me out. And so after um, after a couple weeks of trying, I actually just re-downloaded 4 and went back to 4. So that's my sad story. Now, my question would be then, because cause I'm with you, and I think a lot of us shared that critique of Civilization V. I think, uh, Troy, you and I have talked about this, where Civilization V was very much a game about, like, you commit to a strategy early and you work out a game plan, and it's really hard to deviate from that. Yeah, I mean, I ta- I'm, I'm, John, uh, John Schaefer and I have talked about this as we talk about Civ quite a bit and about game design, that it really, that in the push to make all of the civilizations and all the cultures really, really different from each other, they really pushed each of them into sort of straitjackets, that there was one or two viable strategies for each one. Um, you know, the, the French, you're going to go culture, you're going to go military. The Indians, you're going to go culture because you want a nice small empire because the popular, because the expansion problem. So there are these, so the the attempt to make diversity, in fact, made it a this tiny little path for each little culture. And because it's so hard to shift gears in Civ Five, where it was for a long time, from one victory condition to another, you couldn't just ramp up and get production moving quickly 
to switch from a culture to a war footing. You couldn't move back and forth as easily. Um, not like Civ Four, where you had the different civics. So you could say, okay, now I'm at war, so pick all these war civics. Or the earlier civs, where there were government types suited for different strategies. Civ Five didn't have any of that. So you were kind of pushing yourself down this path. And John and I have talked about this, and it was something he probably hadn't thought of at the time. And I think Jeff's critique is right on, and it is something that Civ V has struggled with. And we'll get into how Gods and Kings kind of changes that a little bit, but that, I think that issue is still there. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I was really surprised to hear, Jeff, that this is what brought you back. I mean, for me, I, w- I would start off with the same premise, um, but for that specific reason, that's where uh, I find God and Kings sort of falling flat. So when we get into talking about it, I'll be interested to challenge you on that. Yeah, well, you won't have to challenge me that hard because that was that was my feeling at the time that I tweeted. And now, now that I've played oh. dozens, now that I played dozens more hours, I'm coming back towards feeling like, well, I'm still sort of straightjacketed. Ah, uh, okay. I have to say though, I'm liking it. I am still liking it better. I I do like. You know, I tend to, I've always been less of a combat guy as far as Civ goes. I never, I've, I don't think I've enjoyed the combat really in any of the Civs. Um, I liked it probably the least in 4, I think. Um, so 5 was an improvement. But, but the point is, like, I always would go for, um, you know, more peaceful victory conditions. And um, at, at first I thought that uh, some of the new changes in Gods and Kings was going to make that easier um, but I'm actually not finding that to be the case. Before we delve into Gods and Kings, though, I mean, I played I played a lot of Civilization Five, not quite as much as, as as Troy, but I did I did three pieces on it for uh, for GamePro, God rest its soul. And uh, one, you know, what we were trying to establish was, you know, we we're looking at how it evolved through patches and everything. And I gotta say, you know, three months, six months after after it came out, Civilization Five was a much much better game. Uh, it had patched away a lot of the most egregious problems that I think really turned people off to start with. But my feeling, my feeling walking away from Civilization V was there was no way this was ever going to be my favorite Civilization. There was no way this was going to supplant Civilization IV in my heart. But, you know, with that said, I kind of felt like the game was a little unfairly maligned. The more time I spent with the game, the more I came to, you know, kind of appreciate... You know, you, you know, you can call it a straitjacket, Troy, and, and in some ways I agree. I miss having that flexibility. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also like that this was a game that sort of demanded that you not just sort of show up and see what happens in Civilization, which you, you, know, which you can so often do in a Forex strategy game. This was a game that really, like, tested your ability to adapt your strategy to the circumstances of a game and make it work. And I kind of enjoyed, I, I kind of enjoyed that challenge. Yeah, I, mean, I know what you're saying. I mean, it's... Civ Five is, it's so different from the other civilizations. I mean, it is a radical break. People have asked me, you know, um, so which should I play, 4 or 5? And it's really not an easy decision. You can say 4 is a better game uh, than 5. It's much more colorful. Has a, I, th- I like the civic system better than the social policy system. But even though they're both civilization, they both have the same core concepts, te- uh, technology tree, tile-based, uh, improved city, multiple victory conditions... Christopher Ten. Yeah. So we are so radically different from each other. 
um, and just the way they approach the building of a civilization, in the way they approach the treatment of things like happiness and the treatment of culture. And the, the military uh, subgame is so different from one to the other. I mean, it's this huge dramatic difference that to say which newcomers to the series should pick is not an easy choice. Um, and I think uh, it's kind of, I mean, it's Jeff, I'm like, yeah, I, I grew up with civilization, not grew up with civilization. I mean, it, it was in college that I encountered civilization. But and so I've, I, I've played them all from like launch day on. Uh, it's just been, it's, it's my series. It's my boo. I mean, Civ's my thing. Uh, but so it's, it's I, th- I really have, I think Rob's right that from the patches and the improvements, Civ Five, even before Gods and Kings, is better than it was. But it's still so different from Four. Um, that it, I'm not going to say it's a completely new game, but it's a game that almost stands on its own. So I'm actually going to maybe uh, be the, the odd one out, is I actually prefer Civ Five to Civ Four, um, And for the, for the very reason of... I come to it for very different, different reasons, but I approach Civ Five um, as a very clever uh, balancing of equations sort of problem, where you have these sort of intricate systems and you have to figure out well which pieces fit together because everything snaps together very nicely the civics the, the racials the um, the the strategic and the luxury you know resources all these things they fit together with each individual civilization to get to one victory condition now where it's not like it uh, not like civ 4 civ 4 was much more elegant and what i mean by that is is that the the system of equations that sort of govern that game allow for a more varied uh, end result um but just on a personal level civ 5 was the i don't that's that's my game right now i'll have to say that um yeah i mean one thing that i that i liked immediately in civ 5 even even when it first came out and i i gave up on five and went back to four but i i all along i've preferred the combat of five i did not like the stacking units in four at all i just i couldn't handle it i didn't like it and so the uh, one unit per tile, even though I, I have problems still with the combat in this game, as I always have, um, I, I, I still prefer the one unit per tile to the stacking and the monster stacks. We should get to how Gods and Kings actually changed Civilization Five, And, uh, you know, Jeff, I wanted to return to you because your first reaction, I think a lot of people had this first reaction, was, you know, oh, here it is. Like, this is this is the expansion that really addresses the things that turned me off Five. And uh, I'm interested to hear you say that you started to come back around to closer, at least, to your original view. Uh, so take us through that arc and... Uh, you know why? Why you end up thinking that uh, Gods and Kings isn't as uh, revolutionary for the game as it initially seems? Well, I mean, first of all, like like I said at, at the very beginning, you know, it was it was the return of religion and um, and 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 the espionage as well that to me just it, it it made me feel like okay, this now I can play the game more the way I used to want to play it, which was benign expansion. Um, uh, of the world and influence, um, using using culture as an influence and, and uh, uh, you know a- anything that basically even <laughs> enabled me to win without having to, to mess around with combat. I, I, I like it not just because of uh, not enjoying the combat in the series, but also I, I find it more intellectually satisfying to uh, to take over these folks without uh, having to fight them. So that's always the way I've personally enjoyed playing the game. 
Um, Makes those late game turns go faster too. Yeah, it sure does. And you know, that's actually maybe part of the reason I don't like the combat. Um, uh, and I don't know if I'm alone in that. I really don't. I don't know if, uh, if others really dig on the combat, but I sort of feel like when I want to play a, a turn-based combat game, I just play a turn-based combat game. So for Civ, for me, it's never been about that. Um, so I, I'm particularly biased in my in my feelings um, when it comes. I'm to with it. you, Jeff. Thank you. I feel a little better. And uh, and I thought that the uh, and I still think that the espionage. I mean, I, I I do think that the espionage in the new game. And I haven't um, I haven't done too much of it, but the little I've played around with so far has been super fun. It's almost like a little mini game within the game. Uh, and I and I I. I don't know. So, so my initial take, anyway, is that I I felt that the expansion was was bringing back to me some of the the fuller experience that that I had way back with Civ one through three or four even, um, but but the straightjacketness of the of the different Civs, as Troy mentioned, is now kind of bumming me out a little, um, and. Uh, you know, I've actually started a lot of new games, and I always pick random at first because I just like to. I do that with most games like this because I like to force myself to have to learn the sieve and uh, learn how to play that way. But I'm finding that it's just it's too narrow for me. Like I like I understand exactly what you guys were saying about um, sort of the challenge of having to play the way that's best for that sieve. But on the other hand. I sort of want to have it both ways. I want to be able to um, play that way, but also infuse my, you know, my take on it. And uh, and in Civ Five, I'm not feeling like there is my take on it. I feel like okay, you're this is the way this is going, so I'm just going to play it your way. Um, and that's not a feeling I like to get when I'm playing a big strategy game like this. It feels more like a puzzle game in a way. You know, I mean, I think that's kind of what you're saying. What you were saying earlier, Dave, where like the way it snaps together. I think that's a really good that's a really good way of putting it because when things do come together in Civ Five, it does have this like almost Lego esque feeling of like satisfaction. Uh, for for me, like what's never going to get old is um, you know when you go just on like those absolutely ridiculous runs of Golden Ages, right? Um, where it's like, oh, I've just had a Golden Age for like fifty turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is awesome. But but the problem the problem comes for me in like you know the middle ages or something when it's clear my original strategy just isn't working and there are just so many obstacles to achieve any other kind of victory you know like oh it's you know can't really switch to culture you really need to have been building toward that it's gonna be very Mm -hmm. very tough to land that victory you know if you know maybe you can land science but you know probably not because somebody else is focused on that uh, and, and that can be that can be a little frustrating. I, you know, it's, it's tough in a strategy game where it's like discouraging you from like playing it to the bitter end. Mm-hmm. I've also I'm really enjoying uh, the Pantheon. I think is a really fun addition. But the problem is, I never feel like I have enough information at the point I have to pick my first Pantheon to to have picked the right one. And often, like three hundred turns later, I wish I could go back and, and start all that again. The whole religion track. Oh. This is interesting because my relationship with the Pantheon thing is the exact opposite. All right, hang on. Um, so we sorry. should we should describe how religion works in this game. Uh, you know, Troy, for people who haven't tried out Gods and Kings just yet, um, you know, why don't you take us through sort of the process of religion and how it's different from uh, Civilization Four? 
On Civilization Four, you discovered certain technologies. The technologies would unlock a religion, and then you could spread that religion versus missionaries, or it would spread along trade routes. Very simple way of doing it. Uh, Civ Five introduces a new resource called faith, and faith is generated mostly by buildings. You build shrines, you build temples, you build specifically certain wonders, and the faith accumulates over time. In the early game, when you get faith to a certain point, you have a chance to pick up to choose your your cultural pantheon. What your pantheon is, it's a cultural bonus you take with you with you for the rest of the game. Now they're exclusive. Once one person picks a pantheon skill, and it's for all the other religious uh, things as well, no one else can pick that. And you'll probably find your first panth- pick your pantheon when you're like one or two cities, and you haven't explored a lot of the map yet. So you're choosing this game-changing bonus. Usually something pretty small, but some of them are actually quite nice. Like the, if you're having the, surrounded by desert, there's this desert power which adds more faith uh, to your society, which I pick quite a bit because I always end up with stupid deserts because I have the worst luck in random maps. Uh, but as you don't see a lot of the maps, you're, it's actually kind of like you're this primitive culture, you haven't seen a lot of the world, and you base your religion on what's around you. Uh, it's... it's Water? Is it a wine and incense? Are you? Do you have a lot of neighbors? So you indeed have this protection bonus. And there's a long list of skills. So it's it's not like you're picking from a very small plate. There are like over 20 of them, I think. So you have quite a few options here. Then as you as faith gets to the next level, you can build. A, you can get a prophet, a great prophet, and the great prophets can found a religion. And just like the pantheons, you have this religion, and you pick. Two things. You pick the founder's bonus, something that will go to you for every city that converts to a new religion, and the follower's bonus, something that applies to every city that follows this religion, even foreign cities. So you have to pick and choose a bit. You don't want to have something really powerful that will help your enemies if they're following your religion, but you do want to have your own cities following your religion. So there's tiny little tension there. And you can improve your religion again a couple of times. And the Byzantines, a new culture, they get an extra bonus uh, religious trait. And throughout the game, you're spreading your religion uh, through missionaries, eradicating other religions through inquisitions, um, and spending great profits to increase the power of your faith and drive out other ones uh, because of the bonuses it can give you as a founder of a religion. If you don't get the founder of a religion, because it's a cap, there can only be five of them on the map, I think, right? Five? Does it vary with the number of civilizations? There's a yes. ton it of may. possible religions. It, it may, yeah, I, I, yeah. Think it, uh, yeah. I think it may be five, I think it's five to seven, I think, at most, though, uh, religions in the game. And at a, uh, in a single game at a time, so it's... You may not get to found one if, you get, if you're too slow on the faith meter. So you end up, so other cultures start throwing their religion into you, and you have to decide which one you want to follow. Um, do you want to have a multicultural society, have some cities follow one bonus and some cities follow another? And it's not, it's kind of a neat little system, and it's something I didn't think I'd really like as much as I do. I really put a lot of thought into choosing that first trait, because as Jeff says, you don't know what's out there, really. Um, you don't know what... So maybe that's a nice metaphor for religion in general, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you, really are base, you really are choosing something based on your very first starting point. And if you have hey, I've got wine and incense. I'll choose the wine and incense bonus, the god of, god of fun times. 
or whatever the Pantheon name is, get a bonus for having wine and incense. And then you find out, wait a minute, the Aztecs have more wine and incense than I do. And I took this stupid thing, and I've got like one of each, and that's my bonus. And I kind of screwed myself. Well, then you picked a really crappy religion. Hooray, you picked following the fat-ass Venus thing, religion that gets that gets died out. Um, so it's, it, I really like the religion mechanic a lot, much more than I do the espionage uh, thing, which I'm really not quite keen on. We'll get into that quite a bit. But I like adding this resource. I like they've redone some of the wonders. I like that you can spend faith with a certain pantheon skill, you can a religious skill. You can spend faith to buy units through the, through the holy warrior skill. And that's for really good for a strong faith and military power if you want to expand quickly. There are so many great options here for choosing your religion based on your situation and based on the problems you're going to experience. And I love how customizable it is. I like how if I pick something, no one else can pick it. I do feel like I am building a culture. Uh, probably more than I ever have in a sieve. Hmm. This is interesting because my, my sort of relationship with this mechanic has been the exact opposite. Is I feel that um, every time that I've founded the Pantheon, I've already made the decision of which path I'm moving towards. And therefore, the sort of the meaningful choice of which one, like the choice has already been made. If I'm if I'm if I'm going to do a uh, if I'm going to be my first game was with the Greeks and the Greeks, um, they need a lot of cities. They create money. They rely on the city states to get uh, additional luxury resources and, and food to feed it. I mm -hmm. think they're super powerful. I made that decision. Once I get there, it's very very simple to say, okay, I need things that increase money and increase my happiness. And so when I founded my religion, it was very, very simple to say, okay, this one increases happiness. This is the one I go through. Like the decision had already been made. Um, so it wasn't like, for me, it was, it may as well not exist because especially the balancing in the game, it feels like much of the balance of the, the redoing some of the wonders and redoing the buildings, it ends up being this zero sum equation. You know, in in some ways, I, I would agree, but I think I think timing matters here, because it's not like you just it's not like you just pick religion at the start of the game. So religion, you know, as often as not, is happening in the context of what the hell else is going on in your game, and so there are times where yes, optimally, I would love to use religion to do exactly what you said, just make my original game plan just more so, you know, like get more happiness, get more culture, whatever. Uh, but a lot of times, like you know, I, I had one game where there was the there was the thing where for my long term strategy there was the thing I wanted to pick, but then there was buying pre gunpowder units with raw faith, and I had some bad neighbors, and I was like, you know, this thing is probably not going to be useful in you know like fifty sixty turns. Like I wish I didn't have it, but my God, do I need it now? And what that enabled me to do was sort of conquer this river valley and the reason I needed to conquer that river valley is because my original religious trait was that my people get extra happiness from being on a river and so like it, you know I, I have I had this game where I was making some weird decisions because you know just like you know to start with uh, you know I, I started on the river so okay I want I want river happiness and then I got really covetous for river tiles uh, and then I get I have I have bad neighbors and you know they they start some fights and suddenly, you know I need to be able to produce an army without necessarily going to the trouble of building one with my cities and and buying units and faith points let me do that. So I mean you know I think 
there are t- there are definitely going to be games where it turns out where it's it's kind of an obvious decision. There's no reason not to take the best choice for for your overall game plan. But I think you know the way the timing works out and the vagaries of early game. I, I do think it creates a lot of interesting potential for you to have those moments where it's like, okay, there's the thing that's probably the smart move for the whole game, and then there's I need <laughs> I need an army of religious zealots to kill my enemies. I, that, that's interesting that you made choices at at gunpowder. I've played now six games and no, no, I no, barely is is pre gunpowder units. Pre gunpowder, okay, yes, because I've picked my religion like I, w- I well within the first age, like maybe the first thirty turns. Um, I uh, listening to all this and 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 uh, it, it sounds to me like like part of it, and maybe this is kind of a duh point, but but I think you know that really. Um, especially listening to Dave's point of view, it sounds like a lot of it just has to come with, has to do with how you're approaching the game in the first place, even before you start. And, you know, like when I'm playing it, I, I, maybe it's from being in Berkeley and being sort of a hippie. Like I, I don't go in from the start with a particular plan in mind. I I like to see how it's going to develop as I go along. And I think that's where things like having to choose a pantheon so early um, for me, it feels early because in my mind, I'm still sort of like trying to get a sense of the map and get a sense of the other units. Where are they? What are my resources around? I, I'm going into it very with a very vague sense of what my plan is. I don't really buckle down and start having a concrete strategy until many, many turns in, probably way after Dave, um, which is why we should probably never play multiplayer. <laughs> oh, there are so many reasons never to play multiplayer, Siv. Um, I, I mean... But even going to Dave's point, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing. I think it actually, I mean, if you were to pick your religious bonuses based on your culture, for example, the Greeks have a lot of neat little bonuses going on. They're kind of a fun sieve to play, especially for fast expansion. Um, If you're choosing your religion to enhance your civilization, that's kind of good, right? Because you're you're saying, I I understand this culture. I want to plug into this culture and make these bonuses stronger. But the other way of doing it is I already have these bonuses. I don't have to enhance them anymore because the other cultures don't have them. So I can pick, if not against them, I can pick something else to compensate for other weaknesses. So there are other ways of doing it based on your situation, based on your map, um, that can actually be kind of true, true-ish to history. How a culture evolves, how a culture adapts, what's part of a culture. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or a constraining thing. I think so much depends on, first of all, like, when, when you do make that choice. If you have this game plan all set, I'm playing the Greeks, and I'm going to go for the diplomatic victory for the Greeks, because the Greeks have really two options, a diplomatic win and a military win, because their ancient units are just so damn kick-ass uh, that they can just mow for the opposition pretty quickly, and they have the city-state bonus for the diplomatic win. Um, so, but th- so you can, and there's but there's so many other ways to get gold, right? I mean, they're in th- in this game now, um, you, and they're not every religious choice gives you the option for gold. So you're gonna be picking some other stuff in there too, and that's all gonna be part of your civilization and part of your culture. Your the Greeks have this cultural strength, and you're building along with it. And I think that even though it's still straitjacketed, it in some ways enhances the idea of who the Greeks are, or who the Mongolians are, or who the Byzantines are. And I think that's that's kind of special. It's a straitjacket, but it's a straitjacket you're kind of tucking yourself into as you go to sleep at night, I suppose. Right. I wouldn't necessarily... I would, see, I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad thing. It's just, um, 
for for the my method of of play my relationship with Civ Five is in and that is that balancing of equation. It's this mm-hmm. uh, it's this extra little bit. It's a skin tab. It doesn't actually have uh, much much use to me. It doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did not change the way that I played with the Greeks. It did not change the way that I played with the Japanese. It did not change right. the way that I played with uh, the Spanish. No. Um, it was it was only sort of interesting when I played with the Byzantines, and obviously just because they are sort of pushed towards it. And then I was using the Holy War sort of. Um, uh, I use the Holy War power, which gives you a fairly large bonus uh, when you're attacking other cities with uh, that share your religion. And so that was a little bit more of an interesting give and take, but really it just meant that I could I could sustain a lot of cities. Um, I, I think we should we should also say that um, uh, that with the religion back and and we've talked about it a lot that um, you know you actually don't have to use it too. You could kind of ignore it. Um, yeah. you can basically not accumulate faith points and then you're just never going to even be given the option by the game. Um, but I, I would play a, a part of a game with, with, uh, as, uh, Bismarck for quite a while. And I never even got close to earning a Pantheon. And, uh, so, so you can just ignore it. If you don't even want that whole subsystem in your game it, for yourself, you can basically ignore it. Yeah, and that was definitely actually the first thing I did. Um, you know, but again, it was kind of nifty the way that played out, because my first, my first game, I was like, screw it, I'm just going to try for a cultural win, be kind of isolationist. And a religion just showed up, and I was kind of landlocked, so I didn't know where it was coming from. I was like, okay, I guess we'll be, we'll be I think it was Christian or something. Well, I'll be Christians now. And, uh, well, it turns out that uh, the Babylonians had founded the religion. I didn't know this, but I had a bunch of cities that had gone Christian, and I'd helped spread Christianity. And they had some sort of founder's bonus. They had a founder's bonus that let them, I think, uh, collect money for every city in the world mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was their religion. And so I had no idea until the very end of the game where I discovered they'd accumulated, by the very end, uh, like 14,000 gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, at the very end, I've been fighting sort of to get all these city-states on side and everything. And then the uh, UN election uh, comes up. And in the space of a turn, they just sort of spend all their money, buy every city-state, and win the game. Yep. And, I mean, it, it, was just, it was kind of this nifty, like, you know, I mean, maybe the Babylonians could have done that anyway with or without religion. But it did kind of give the game this cool, like... Um, you know, oh, we, you know, we kind of just took this, we kind of took this faith at uh, face value, and didn't see that we were kind of just handing them sort of a game-winning power. Right, and I, that actually, I did a similar thing with my Byzantine uh, game, and it sort of exposed, I think, kind of an issue is I have not seen that the um, AI is able to defend against the spreading of religion. Um, if that's your goal. Um, and you're using your great profits to spread your religion rather than to immediately enhance your religion, um, it's basically been the stalemate because I've been converting cities before their first great profit is even born, uh, which means that when their great profit is born, it spreads my religion. And I haven't been able to see the AI be able to counter that. Um, it's sort of kind of been a disappointment for me as well. The other element I wanted to talk to you guys about, of course, was espionage. And, you know, Troy, I know that uh, you and I do not think espionage went particularly particularly well with Beyond the Sword. Uh, 
but what do you think of its employment here? Well, it's different. I mean, it's it's, it's something to, to explain the mechanic. You around the Renaissance era, you get your first spy and you plant him in a city, and he just sits there. And he, uh, if it's an enemy civilization, he steals technology or tries to steal technology if they're more advanced than you, or he tries to spy on their plans. It's pretty much, you know, fire and forget. Uh, he can get caught and killed, and that can cause a diplomatic incident, but that's pretty much it. Um, you'll also be using spies, because you get them throughout the game, they, you get more, uh, to defend against other spies, or to keep city-states on your side through rigging elections uh, and the like. Um, if I ever see the word shenanigans again, it'll be too soon. So I'm just tired. Oh, election shenanigans in Quebec City. I just, you know, I don't have to see that every single turn. Thanks, guys. Um, so it's a, it's a very simple little system. Um, but it, I don't know, it just, first, it doesn't feel like espionage. Much of what espionage feels like. I've never been a spy. Uh, but it doesn't feel like I'm spying. It's like I'm taking many actions, uh, which may be f- for the good. I mean, it's sometimes taking actions is problematic, but it feels like it's just something that's going on. I plant something, and it grows or it doesn't. Um, I pick which city-states I want to sway, and I pick them based on which luxuries I need and which votes I need if I'm going for a diplomatic win. Um, it's it's a weird little system. Um, it's you build buildings to defend against spies, but not to enhance their skills. You get, you can't choose how many spies you have. They just increase a bit gradually over time. Now, Jeff, you said you actually kind of like the spy system, and I want to figure out what's the appeal of it for you. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think I like that when when the spy is successful, um, you know, it's, it's actually kind of a, a neat little way to... Uh, what I like is the results when it works. The actual system itself, I think, has a, a, does leave a lot to be desired. I mean, you're right. For one thing, it is fire and forget. And, and basically, it's all menu-driven. I mean, there's no actual spy unit on the board um, that you're moving around. So it's sort, of, it's sort of weird in that way in that it's kind of invisible, right? I mean, you get one at, uh, at Renaissance era, like you said, and I think you get another one at each, at each new era. Um, but right, one, all you're doing is fiddling around on a menu, so it's sort of like playing with Excel in a way. But um, but I, you know, every time I I, I successfully pull off a coup uh, in the city state and get a benefit from it, I I feel like I, I just like that. I like the extra little added thing, and I there's something mm-hmm. there's something uh, satisfying about. It's just little. It's flavor. That's what I like. Right. I think that's what I'm getting. So I like the flavor of rigging elections and things like that. It feels, it feels uh, just kind of like a, a nice little touch in terms of dealing with the city states. And it, it does it does free up gold as well, which is kind of important. Mm-hmm. You're not spending gold to convert city states. But but you're right. I mean, it, it's it, what would be nice to see in another expansion or maybe in Civ Six or whatever is a is a more fleshed out version. I mean, espionage. Definitely is something as a concept that that would be key to a to a game like this. I mean, it, it's it, it it definitely you know is a huge factor, obviously in in world history. So it would be nice to see a, a you know a more rich system of espionage. I guess the fact that it's there at all, even in kind of its limited implementation here, I still like. I like it better than Civ Fours. I I do. Songs. 
I, I, I wish they'd taken just a little bit further, um, like maybe a little bit more varied uh, missions, because what I found as it exists right now, it's more of like a, a comeback mechanic. Um, the only time it's really been relevant in games that I've had, it's when I've been losing. Um, yeah, more often than not, by the Renaissance age, I am probably the most technologically advanced, which means I can't steal technology from anyone. Um, and I have a lot of gold, or the city-states at this point are irrelevant, which makes taking them over not that big of a deal. But if I had some way of, like, saying, um, go to my closest rival's um, uh, city and sabotage their walls, or sabotage the production of their wonder, or, you know, mess with their water supply, or even something like tear down their mine... Um, then, then it would at least it would have a, a use when you were, you know, out ahead. It's a great point. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I kind of feel like espionage is one of those mechanics, one of those game concepts that always sounds really cool, but you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure. Like, if it's, if it's really worth all the trouble uh, of implementing it, uh, and and I think you know, with a game like this. You know, where, where all civilizations kind of have this, uh, you know, all civilizations to a degree are, are this test of your ability to plan and adapt. And I, and I kind of feel like, you know, spies are tough to integrate in a way that's fun because so many of the things that you think of, like, well, what can a spy do? is just a way to, like, grief another player, kind of. And that's, you know, is that, is that really that fun mm. to have going on in your game? And really, like, how much a difference can you allow a spy to make? Like... You know, the whole game is about building, you know, huge, uh, you know, economic infrastructure, huge research infrastructure. How much should one spy or a good spy program be able to overcome the ability, you know, overcome all the advantages of basically running a kick-ass game? And I, and I think you run into a problem right there is you're saying, like, okay, we're going to create this, you know, we're going to create this, this system for espionage. But here's the thing. It has to make a difference but not too big a difference. And right there, I think, I, I kind of feel like you're in design trouble from from that point. So so I'm going to put on my game designer hat, and I'm sure I'll have a conversation with John uh, later on about it. But I would, if I was sort of in control of Civ Six, I would actually make it as a companion to the diplomatic system, taking a little bit of inspiration from Crusader Kings 2. And basically, if you could imagine the S, like you could have some sort of spy victory condition, much in the same way as you have the diplomatic uh, condition, so that you have this sort of this dialogue with your spy in the same way as you would have a dialogue with foreign power. You can have conversations with them, send them on missions, negotiate these sorts of plans. Um, I think there might be potential there if we look at it like that. Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point. Uh, but but then you kind of run into a problem where you know where all civilization games are kind of designed to be potentially. Uh, multiplayer, mm-hmm. and then how do you how do you work that into a system where now it's not just you dealing with an AI, but it's also a different person? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I suppose I suppose that's where it runs into. But for me, Civilization, I suppose, has never really been a, a reasonable multiplayer game. Me too, but we have to keep the pretense. I really do. I wonder if I wonder if they have to. I wonder. Uh... I always wondered why they had to. I never. Yeah. I, all these years, I never. I mean, I. Um, what was it called? A Civnet, you know, oh God, going yeah. way back. I mean, that was a nightmare. Yep. I, yeah. I've 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 probably put into the Civilization series 
and this is a little embarrassing, but probably close to 10,000 hours <laughs> in my lifetime. And I've, I have played one hot seat, hot seat game 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, we played a little bit of multiplayer Civ Five when it came out just to see how it worked. And it really, well, at first it didn't work at all when it came <clears> out. It, was, it loaded really, really poorly, would crash constantly, uh, would miss turns. It was a, really a terrible, terrible uh, multiplayer code when it came out. They improved it, but it's it's not a great multiplayer game. Um, turn by very, I think very few turn-based games really are. Uh, especially since Civ 5 really demands everyone playing at the same time and saving it. This isn't a play-by-email or pit-boss-type uh, game, um, which, you know, was how we played Civilization multiplayer, or how we talked about playing Civilization multiplayer, but never actually did uh, back in the day. We played some Alpha Centauri multiplayer, though. I, I, think that, uh, you know, the, I think that the rise of things like the iOS and the asynchronous turn-based games like uh, like Hero Academy, mm -hmm. they're a much stronger case for multiplayer turn-based. I mean, even even the board games yeah. like Car Carcassonne are just fantastic experiences, mm -hmm. um, and, and and so much more realistic to be able to pull off um, with a group of people. Right, and and I kind of feel like, well, I think the trouble is, the people who do play Civilization multiplayer, from my encounters with them, tend to be really passionate about it. Right. And I can just see someone being like, oh, "Do you really like you know some, like it's some design meeting you know and you're drawing up like plans for the new civilization and like can we just get rid of this thing mm -hmm. and I'd be like, oh, do you really wanna do you really want to deal with this? Do you really want to see what's gonna happen to our farms for the next like eight months?" So I mean, I I, I can see them hesitating to you know kind of drop the pretense and say you know civilization is a single player game it's best that way, uh, but but that said like. You know, I mean, when I think of civilization sessions, and hell, this is even in the game's marketing. The civilization session is like, you know, three, four hours of crack just vanishing into the gaping maw of civilization. And that's awesome, but that's not a multiplayer game. So I have a quick question about, or maybe it's not so quick. Has anyone had a lot of success, or what's their experience has been with the nine new playable um, civilizations? Have they changed? Are any of them sort of changing the way that you that you've been playing a little bit yeah can you can you can you elaborate like which ones did you have which ones have you been changing okay what's two been your experience uh so yeah a couple a couple of the new a couple of the new civs uh, right off the bat one is the uh one is the celts mm -hmm. and the celts draw faith points from just having forests because they're all druids and, and shit like that right so you don't improve a forest you get extra faith points and so in games where I've been the Celts and I just find myself with a ton of forest tiles around me, uh, now I'm just like, oh, well, we'll just protect the trees and draw our faith power from the trees. And, I mean, it works actually pretty damn well because the other thing is it's actually really defensible because now you're surrounded by forests. Uh, so you can just sort of, like, turtle in and just celebrate, you know, the Earth Goddess and, uh, you know, really crank out the faith points and, and build an advantage that way. And, uh, and not only that, but they have a uh, they have a military unit. And, uh, oh the, shit! The Pictish warrior, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, you get faith with every kill. 
and you can you can like and you can start to stack these things. And this is again like kind of why religion is cool, right? You can start to sa- stack these things in really gross and awesome ways. Like so, I like you know as the Celts, I'm like okay, so I can buy units via faith. I'm gonna buy myself a bun- bunch of Pictish warriors. And oh, by the way, when I'm fighting near a city of a different faith, I get bonuses. And so now my you know now my like hordes of Pictish warriors are just this like terrifying like. Uh, mob that are just tearing apart of other civilizations because I can just keep cranking them out through my um, you know through my faith production via the forests and I can keep just you know rolling over people who haven't yet seen the uh, you know seen the light of Stonehenge basically mm-hmm. uh, and it's pretty cool yeah and all of the civs have some new civs and really neat things going on I mean I, I've been pl- I've played not all of them played quite a few of them uh, the Celts are a lot of fun. Uh, I like um, the I like the Hun spear unit because it's a battering ram. Right, it's, like it's a, great. Instead of, they don't they don't get a spear unit uh, at the beginning. They get this great siege unit. It can really take a city down pretty damn fast, but it's so susceptible to melee units, uh, and it moves and it, of course moves as slow as as susceptible as many siege units are. But they get that so early, so you can get this great conquest rush with the Huns, and it's. They're this great conquering civilization. I'm, I'm like Jeff. I'm not really a conquering type person. But with the Huns, I mean, you're not going to be defending shit with a battering ram. I mean, there's no, not like a, like a spearman. You can, you can stick them on a hill to fight off horses. You know, you're missing this great defensive unit. So you're going to be... St- uh, you have to go on the offense because it's really all you've got, especially if there's no iron lying around. So you've got to be using this thing. And it's just so freaking awesome. I love the Ethiopian power, the uh, spirit of Adwa, and the fact that their military, their uh, unique unit, uh, their unique rifleman, is stronger fighting near a home city uh, to reflect, you know, Ethiopia's resistance to European colonialism, this defensive power you get. So you you couple that with the uh, pantheon bonus of protection, you throw in a couple of wonders, and Ethiopia becomes almost like almost like Babylon. You know, Babylon is impossible to take because their walls are so high. Ethiopia becomes an African Babylon, this this mini fortress uh, that you have to plow through, which is really hard. Carthage, I'm not having a lot of fun with because they gotta be on the they gotta be on the water to get that free harbor. But blah blah blah. It doesn't mean you get to connect your cities in a trade zone pretty quickly, which is a lot of fun. I mean, they're they're really kind of neat. And done some, they've done some things with the other civilizations, the older ones. Like uh, uh, Elizabeth gets a free uh, spy, for example. She gets an extra spy, which is kind of sweet. There are lots of... I, I haven't played with all of them. I played with about half of them. And they all do present some neat new strategies. And once again, they're all kind of... I mean, the, the Celtic, you want to maximize that. Right. Nonsense. Well, Jeff, you Jeff was about to say something. Yep. I don't remember now. I, oh, I do no. remember. I, well, it's okay, but I do remember that when I was first looking through them, I I laughed at the Celts and I and I thought that's just way too. I I don't know. It was it too was Berkeley. Too, too Berkeley for me to want to to uh, to do. And then of course it turns out that it's actually awesome if you're going for uh, right. for a lot of faith. Um, I also was enjoying. Uh, uh, Austria as well, because you can um, spend uh, your money, your gold, to uh, to either take over or uh, or annex um, so the city states. So I thought that was pretty fun um, and uh, appropriate for the for the for the country. And also about the uh, uh, Carthage, 
Um, I do agree with Troy, but you know, if I do find myself on a map uh, with a lot of water, of course, they're awesome for the free harbor, and and they also get to uh, move a little quicker, or actually not move quicker, but they can cross mountains, right? Isn't that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, after yep. the first grade general, they can cross mountains. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I've had a pretty great luck with uh, Byzantium. They're just. I think they're actually pretty versatile with the number of uh, cities that they can actually pump out. Um, and then my first game I played was with the Netherlands, and it was so disappointing. Their bonus is that they get to um, retain some of the happiness uh, when they trade away their luxury resources, but nobody wanted to trade with me. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of just this, this sad, I was just a sad little Dutch man. Oh, that's, you're like Vincent van Gogh. That's a, a boring sounding. Uh... Yeah. yeah. Nobody wanted my silk. It is tough. There's some civilizations that their power is like so situational that it's like, boy, if you know the dice ever come up where there's like people like where you can actually use this power, that's gonna be pretty great. But you're gonna have a lot of sad little games. Uh, but I did want to talk about a bit about the AI and uh, sort of the way combat has been revised. But but first, I just wanted to say, like, you know, with regard to uh, the Byzantines, I saw the AI do something that was really cool. Um, where the AI, like, you know, and I've seen the AI still do dumb shit, too, but this was a case where I was, like, trying to storm Constantinople. Uh, or Do they call it Byzantium? Or it's Constantinople. Constantinople. Okay, cool. Um, so I was trying to storm Constantinople, and uh, I've just got this huge army there, and they've just got, like, an archer to defend it, and then uh, just offshore they've got uh, their naval unit, the, the Droman. Mm-hmm. And the Droman is an early-game ranged naval unit. Mm-hmm. And uh, what what the uh, AI was doing is that they had city walls, they had the archer in the city, bring my siege units up into range, you know, going to try to reduce the city. And it keeps cycling the Droman in there uh, long enough to pop a shot off and, like, just torch one of my siege units. And then, like, races it back out of there. Um, and so it was, like, it was basically, like, dodging stacking limits... Uh, it was, like, working through this little, like, loophole in the rules that basically let it, like... Because you got the city firepower, you've got the archer defending, and then you've got this Droman that keeps coming in. Uh, so basically, instead of, like, the like the one or two attacks the city should be able to get off, this thing was just, like, laying waste to me with three attacks per unit. And it basically, like, destroyed my entire early game. And it was one of those things where, like, at the time, it really sucked. Like, I rage quit that game. But in retrospect, it was, like... That was really, really clever. Uh, you know, I'm not, and I'm not sure the AI of the release version, well, starting out of the release version, but I'm not sure, like, vanilla Civ Five AI could have held that city uh, with just three units the way the AI in this game did. Right. I, I found the AI, the combat AI, to actually be quite improved. Um, Civ Five is the, I think, I've been able to play it at the highest difficulty level. Um, I, of any of the civs, so right now I'm sort of uh, hovering around the king, and I think I'm going to move up. But uh, I, I've actually been having a hard time uh, sometimes with my military pushes. They've been able to defend their cities quite well, even on land, um, dodging in and out with uh, with their with their units. It's been actually quite in- enjoyable. I might revisit my pacifist ways. So they they did end up making some small but significant changes to the way the the combat works, and one of them this you know this sounds wonky, but what was it? They went from a ten hit point system to a one hundred hit point system. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you guys felt, found that affects the game? I've actually liked it, I have to say. Um, it, I, I don't know if it's just... Uh, I don't know if it's just psychological or something, but it, it just feels like that the units are, are less expendable now. Um, like they, they can last longer. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it just it, it added a, a little bit of heft to the units to me uh, in a good way. But again, maybe that's just psychological. Maybe actually in reality, they were just as expendable as they always were. I don't know. Now, they do seem quite a bit more durable. Uh, I think you're right, Jeff. And it's... They also, they've done a lot of little tweaks to the system. For example, one of the uh, upgrades you get when you get enough experience is the heal thing. And it used to be that would always just heal your unit completely. Now it doesn't heal your unit completely unless it only has a little bit of damage. It will do, it'll heal it some, but it won't bring it all the way back up. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of a major thing. You know, you can't just count on getting that experience bonus to heal your unit at just the right time. It might not give you enough juice for that extra push. Um, changing naval combat. It used to be all the naval units were ranged. Now there are melee and ranged uh, naval units. So you can attack cities and take cities uh, with boats now. And so that changes the naval game quite a bit and really dramatic ways uh, if you're not ready for it. and gives you alternatives because it used to be one of the big problems with uh, Civ Five is because naval power wasn't quite as strong as it was in the earlier Civs, you know, and defensive, and it really does privilege the defense with all the walls and cities able to defend themselves and forts and archers and crossbows. It's really hard to take a coastal city sometimes because they could just line up boats along the side and just, like, happen to rob, just ding you repeatedly because they're all ranged units. Now you can attack cities with melee ships. So that gives you new offensive opportunities. Um, makes amphibious landings more attractive and easier to do. Uh, they've made lots of little changes, even in the expansion, to how uh, militaries worked. Plus the AI has been constantly improved through patches. So I'm really liking where they're going with it. Yeah, I'll just say that like the uh, hundred the hundred hit point system, where I found it makes the most difference is it creates a whole new dilemma for me, which is um, how to get a badly wounded unit out of combat. Where before that unit would just be dead, you know, it'd be like it was at like quarter health, it goes into combat, it's gone, and there's no decision to be made there. Now it's you know just fill the spot in the line with a different unit. Here now it's like okay, it's got like two hit points left. How do I maneuver this thing out? You know, with the stacking rules being what they are, so it doesn't like completely, you know, screw up my lines or whatever. How do I get this guy out into a safe place where he can heal up, uh, or is it best just to let him die? Uh, uh, you, I really you enjoy gift that. it. You gift it to an allied city state, and then they get it back at full strength, and they go and they attack him. It is. It is not fun to talk about games with game designers, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh shit, that's that's a really good idea. I, I I agree with Troy, and I never really even uh, thought about it as I've been playing that about the the change in uh, in the healing, in the auto healing, and I think um, I think it, it does add a, an element of of kind of suspense and decision making in what to do with these with these wounded units. Um, it used to be like well, like you're all saying, a kind of easy decision what to do or not. Um, so that that part of the game has felt a little more fun to me. Um, seeing these guys in peril and uh, trying to figure out what to do. You know, do I take the, the 50 points left or maybe 20 points, hit points left and, uh, and upgrade them and hope that that's enough? 
or do I actually bother to heal him knowing that the healing isn't going to take me back all the way to full strength? I've been relying on a lot more of the cavalry with the medic upgrade. Um, mm -hmm. Bringing a lot of them into the fray is really has improved that specific scenario of, well, if you heal them, they're 55, but plus they get the 5 from you know, from maybe one of the medics, and if you have two, that's ten, and now all of a sudden their survivability is much higher. But, you know, as improved as the AI is in some of the combat mechanics, like, you know, Troy, you were, you were talking a moment ago about how the defense is really privileged, and this is really kind of a problem to run into with this game, is that sometimes it doesn't matter if the AI you know, pulls a genius move out of, out of its hat. Like, I've had the AI, you know, come pouring across the border with just a huge army. Like, mm -hmm. just, like, they've completely prepared for this. they got better units. they got more of them. They should just be about to sweep me aside. But the problem is, like, you know, maybe there's a river. And maybe there's a forested hill or something. Mm -hmm. And that right there is all the advantage I need for my, you know, crummy one-generation-out-of-date units to somehow turn the tide of this war. Because just getting them off that hill by the river is going to take, you know, about five, six units, and God knows how many turns. And, and that's the problem, is, like, defense has so many things going for it in this game. And offense, like, I can make an offensive work, but I'm someone who's been playing, like, I'm a human who's been playing war games for right. years and years and years. I really kind of feel like the game kind of makes it almost impossible for an AI to win any kind of challenging offensive campaign, no matter how well yep. it plans. And and once you once you still once you can uh, suffer that first wave, um, the war might as well be over because they still cannot. They're, they're they will not make a second wave. They will just send one pitiful unit after another into your meat grinder. Um, that's been a little bit disappointing. It's not as bad as it was. I mean, it used to be that they'd have one wave and that was it. I am seeing the AI have you know, if not a strong reserve, at least something ready to go um, offering decent pieces and not just waiting on holding on to the bitter end uh, building up a second army or a third army um, planning itself a little bit at least not having just one line ready to go um, it, it still can't take a city decently the Carthage game I'm playing now I was wiping out Ethiopia because they had die and I needed die so they mm -hmm. I went to take them. And they are the Mongols and the Vikings who attacked me at the same time. You know, this should be a problem. I ended up losing a city to the Mongols. And I can't remember the last time I actually lost a city to the Mongols. So the Koreans, I'm always losing a city to the Koreans. But the Mongols, you know, they really aren't that much trouble. Um, I ended up losing a city, but I ended up taking it back because as soon as they took the city, they pulled their units back. They didn't move forward to protect the city. They decided, I'm also, I'm also with the Chinese. So I'll move these guys to attack the Chinese further up in the north because I have the city. So I just took it back in the next turn. Um, so there's still the problem of consolidating gains, which the AI has never been very good at. That when they actually do make a breakthrough, they don't pause. They don't stop. Um, and I think that's a bigger problem than not having um, the oomph to push forward. Um, I've had some really weird experiences with the AI. My first two Gods and Kings games, I got annihilated. Like, I got really? complete... I was... I mean, I played a lot of Civ, but the Koreans just completely plowed me over in one game. It was humiliating. They show up with, like, 30 archers and warriors, and they're just plowing me over. I got, like, a couple of spearmen who are waving hello while 
bim bim baps being thrown at my guy's face. It was really <laughs> kind of terrible. Uh, and the second game, it was yeah, the same thing. I was, a, I was the Huns, and I was fighting one war, and then the Germans showed up and just popped. They had, like, they had pikemen, and I was wandering around in loincloths. I was dead. I was kind of humiliating. I think I was still learning a lot of the newer systems and getting too enchanted with the new stuff. But, you know, since then, it's just been one cakewalk after another. I realized, you know, there's some basics here. And it's, the Byzantines was a piece of cake. Now my Carthage game is going pretty smoothly. Uh, but I have been, I have actually lost. I lost my first two Gods of King, Gods and Kings games, and it was terrible. Like I was. I thought, okay, is the A this much better? Or am I an idiot? Clearly, I was an idiot. Um, but I have seen minor improvements. There was one last thing I wanted to bring up with you all, and that is kind of the, um, you know, the scenario stuff you find in this game. In particular, have any of you played around with that steampunk? The steampunk one. Uh, I'm gonna. That's that's on my list for our long weekend here. So I'm gonna play around with that. Have you? Uh, yeah, I did. And, you know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't played enough of it to really figure out whether or not it's like, you know, it, does it all hang together? I don't really know. It's, I'm still kind of in that, like, ooh, it's a new total conversion mod type phase where it's just, like, new and awesome. But I got to say, it's kind of new and awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, it's neat having a game. Like, play, uh, I am playing Civilization V, except it's not bound by all the same rules as Civilization V. And in some ways, it's more, you know open, looser game. You know, you're kind of playing to take the take the lead in a few different vi- victory categories, and you're doing it with all this, like, fantastical steampunk, uh, you know, crap, but, you know, not cra- you know what I mean? Like, airships and, you know, steam-powered whatever the hell. Yeah, exactly. You mean people, were, people wearing goggles and brass everywhere. Goggles and brass everywhere. Uh, but, you know, I will say, like, I really enjoy something like that. And I, you know, I'm playing it. It's, it's this cool little bonus to this expansion. And at the same time, I'm kind of playing it and thinking, you know, boy, I would really like to see, well, kind of the Alpha Centauri thing, right? Where, like, boy, you know what I really want is a Civ game that's not just Civ. And this kind of scratches that itch, but it makes me hungry for more. I haven't even touched any of the uh, new scenarios. Um, I've never really. I think Civ does a great job with scenarios in general. I think you'll like the Rome one, too. Well, actually, it, it should be noted that I think one of the other, if you get it on Steam, they have included Steamworks, so it should be much easier than it has ever been before uh, to, to sort of get these mods. I'm pretty excited about that. But nobody else has had much chance to uh, spend time with the mods, the scenarios? I haven't looked at the... Scenario. I mean, I haven't played the scenarios. I did look at them, and I and I I am intrigued. I I do tend to never do these kinds of things in any of these games. But um, listening to you guys talk, it does make me think I want to try it. Um, but this this actually this talk was re- reminding me that I, I had a question, which is for all of you, if you, if you've had luck with, with uh, these kind of like little quest type things that the city states are throwing at you, which are basically like asking for certain things during points of the game. Are you enjoying that and succeeding at it? Well, those existed in the in some in at least some. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. There's a lot those, more of them now. There's a lot more of them now. Yeah, that's, they're they're very different. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? They've been triggering, but it's for for me. It's been by accident. Um, every once in a while, so it'll you know it'll say Quebec City is in awe of you, and I and I just go, oh, that's that's nice, and 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 I move on. Yeah, I I don't really 
I mean, the same with the original Civ Five. I didn't really change my game to meet certain Civ demands. I'm, I never they said, "Could you threaten so and so? Can you intimidate?" I never intimidate other city states. That's that's something so some punk does. I mean, I don't go around intimidating city states or conquering them. But I mean, Troy I, plays as he lives. Exactly. I'm I'm, I'm no bully, uh, but it. it it depends on who the city state is, but I've, yeah, I mean, often I just end up getting the uh, bonuses completely. I, I stumble into them. Um, you know, they want you to get fur. I have fur. Hey, you've got fur. We love you now. Or you, we want a, a great merchant. Hey, no one ever wants a great merchant. I never want great merchants. They're useless. But hey, I think city states want them. That's fine. Um, have you been doing a lot of that, Jeff? Or I have to say that actually it's sort of annoying me in that it, I feel like it's just sort of cluttering up my screen at times. It, like it feels to me like sort of the, the Facebook spam of, of Civ. <laughs> yeah. City states all wanting their shit from me. It's like, leave me alone. I'm trying to, you know, and they don't go away either. Like if you don't, if you're not fulfilling this, you know, whatever, uh, what, whatever city states request for silk, it's just sitting there. I mean, I guess you can dismiss it, right? So I'm, I'm being unfair yes. there, but but um, but right. On every new turn, I feel like some sometimes in some games, I feel like I'm just getting bombarded by all these stupid requests. And, and there can be a lot of city states too. And so yeah, there's a lot of different requests. And a lot of times, yeah, it's like, you know, so someone's like, oh boy, we sure would like if someone would build the Kremlin. And it's like, well, motherfucker, I bet you would. But <laughs> I'm not going to burn twenty turns building the Kremlin that I don't need. So you can remind me about it, you know, every turn. That's never going to happen. This is not a, like this is not a decision. And again, it's this sort of like, you know, how much benefit can an individual city state really bring you? And that's why, you know, I kind of feel for for all that they've done. Um, well, the, the, know, the new the new mercantile city state has some pretty sweet luxuries. Got some of that porcelain. That's a huge bonus to your happiness. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I still feel though that like, for me, like I, I you know, it's, you know, it, you know, it's cash rules everything, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of the, the like if I'm going to go yeah. into city states in a big way, I'm still looking at financial buildings, uh, you know, strong economy, so that I can just buy the stuff because I just I can't wait. I you know I can't trust that a convenient quest is going to drop. Oh, I, I actually have a, I have a question about that. In my Greek game, I had converted all the city-states around me to my religion, and I was noticing that they were actually, like, the, at the rate at which it had decreased was zero. Now, was that, was that, was that because they were, they were the same religion? Was that something that I had picked and not noticed? Did I build a, a, a wonder that I, that I you know, wasn't paying attention to? Or did I find a bug? Uh, well, I don't know, but it doesn't necessarily decrease. I thought I thought it always decreased at at some rate. The faith or your or no your... no no no. Oh, the, okay, okay. They're they're sort of the they're liking me meter. Um, if it's, I think the, the the Greeks have so many bonuses with city states. I'm not quite sure how they relate with the new system and how they fit. I haven't played the Greeks uh, since because it is a new city state relation system. Now it's got all kinds of uh, uh, numbers on it. Um, and you can't track how fast relations are degrading, which you couldn't do before very easily. So I'm not quite sure how much of that is you being the Greeks 
And how much of that is some combination of social policies and being the Greeks? Because if you have the patronage system, yep. which as the Greeks, you know, you always want to take patronage because it buttresses that, then, you know, that might slow it down even more. Would it slow it down to nil? I don't know. So we should probably start winding this down. And I, and I want to bring it back to, I think, the big questions about gods and kings. Uh, you know, does this really make Civilization V uh, new again? And does it, you know, is it is it going to is it going to sort of fix the game for people who are maybe left cold by it? <laughs> Nobody uh, wants to. Answer. Um, it, it 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 is no. It, I I like I really enjoy Civ Five. Gods and Kings has not changed it for me in the slightest. Well, that's that. No, that's an oversaturation. Does it, it make you enjoy it a little more? A little less. No, not in a meaningful way. Okay. It's new and it's shiny, and I like new and shiny. Um, it's I, I think I'm glad that religion is back, and that was really the big thing for me to have that system back. That's an important part of um, human history. I'm glad that it's there. Um, I think it makes it a more interesting game, uh, but if you have really core problems with how Civ Five was built um, and how the AI plays out and a bunch of other stuff. This is not going to convince you. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and and I know that I've been kind of wishy washy in my in my opinion on this on this podcast. Um, but you know, the initial uh, you know new and shiny that, that Troy mentioned is is what drew me back. You know, it was just seeing the bullet points on the box and getting a taste of it with a couple hundred turns. And while I've complained in, in this podcast about some of some of the implementation, I, I do have to say overall, though, I'm now addicted to Civ Five because of the changes. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, there may be uh, flaws, and there certainly are, especially with espionage, as, as we talked about, or weakness. But I appreciate that it's there, though, and uh, and especially the religion. And so, the changes were were enough overall, despite the fact that you know there's, I don't know how many dozen things we'd all like to be improved. I think I am still going to stick with it. So, so for me personally, as a longtime Civ player, this expansion did did draw me back. It has a number of things that that aren't still aren't great, but it, this was enough to, to convert me. It was. Yeah, for for me, like I, you know, I was pretty thoroughly done with Civilization Five, not in a bad way or anything like that. I just, you know, I kind of reached the end of my interest in it, and I didn't see myself going back to it. You know, I was going to go back to anything, probably Civilization Four. But Gods and Kings, you know, I mean, it, it's weird because I fundamentally I kind of agree with you, Dave. Like it, it hasn't, it, it hasn't significantly changed. A lot of the big important things about Civilization Five, the things that kind of give it its identity, but at the same time, like there is enough new stuff here to play with that, uh, you know, I kind of end up in, in a similar boat to Jeff, where like you know this this makes it a, a little stickier. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a little more excited about going into each new game uh, because religion is a little bit bit more of a wild card. Uh, because combat is, you know, just a, just a little bit more interesting in some ways, uh, and, and so there's, you know, where where one of my big objections was, you know, the game can be a little too rote. Uh, you know, I kind of feel like what Gods and Kings did was it just it just broke that uh, monotony up just enough 
to sort of recapture my interest. And right. you know, I, I, I'm glad it's there. And I don't, I, I do not think the the thought of going back to vanilla Civ Five, you know, actually makes me a little sad uh, after and, Guys and Kings. Yeah, right. but why would you ever go back to vanilla Civ Five? Yes. Plus, I, I really appreciate the inclusion of the CN Tower, so I can I can sort of rep Toronto when I'm playing. Yeah, but they they stick it in a really stupid place. I, mean, I already have you know yeah. broadcast towers all over the place before I could build the CN Tower. <laughs> but yes, lots of lots of new wonders with lots of neat new things in them. All right, so that about does it for our show. Uh, I would like to thank Jeff and Dave uh, for for joining us tonight. Uh, you've been fantastic guests. Thank you very much. And uh, and as always, uh, our thanks to our producer Michael Hermes for uh, cutting this together and making it sound awesome. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you know, Troy. It just occurred to me though. We've got some yep. uh, sins rebellion keys. We never handed out during the rebellion show. You, we go through. I go through the trouble of getting you keys, and you don't pass them out. Oh please, Stephanie went to the trouble. <laughs> I had to ask her. Okay. But yes, yeah, Stephanie's. You sent you sent the hell out of that email. You sure did. Hey, my emails are hard. Sometimes I'm illiterate. Some days. So yeah, we have uh, keys for Sins of a Solar Empire Rebellion. How many keys do we have here, Rob? Uh, we've got. Let's for now. Let's say two. There might be a third I can dig up. But this week, let's just give away two. All right, so we have two keys uh, to pass out. How are we going to do this? Uh, there will be a thread on the Idle Thumbs um, 3MA thing. We're going to have people register and they post there a Civ story. They post a Civ story, their name gets entered. Or do you want to just do a straight draw? No, no, that's, uh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, you know, so just... In in the comment thread for this episode, uh, we'll give we'll give one key away f- randomly to anyone who who just who just comments in this thread on this episode with a uh, you know a story about civilization, and uh, I would say one other key will go away randomly to anyone who uh, tweets a link to this podcast. Sound good, Troy? That sounds fine to me. All right, this is this is what we call social media manipulation. <laughs> we are we are with the times. Excellent. Can I just take one quick second, Rob? Uh, I know some of uh, my old Vancouver comrades listen to this podcast, and I just want to sort of pour one out for my uh, friends over at Radical. Please give me a call, and uh, we'll see if we can we can help you out and uh, bring you bring you out east where you guys should be. Toronto's my favorite city. I'm glad I'm back. Um, yeah, that's been it's been a rough year in the industry. I was sorry to hear that news. Mm-hmm. So. But you can always brighten it by by becoming a Leafs fan. So yes, well, oh, God. come on, come out, yeah. Toronto kids. Yeah, well, your yeah, their their goalie is going to be a Maple Leaf by the beginning of the season. So follow Wongo, come to come to Toronto. So you can be disappointed in the playoffs again. Right. Yes, well, we won't make it, so it'll be fine. This is true. Um, Hope we cheered you up, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff uh, and. Um, Mr. Heron, thank you for coming back. Oh, thank you, Troy. My pleasure. And Thanks, all of you. Oh, and a reminder to people to please uh, rate and review us on iTunes so we know what we're doing right and wrong. And um, for people who are asking why I sometimes close comment threads in the blog, we're trying to steer a direction over to the official forum now for conversation. Come and register. It's nice and fun over there. Um, I'm a moderator over there, and so is Rob, so we can smack people. It's kind of cool. 
Yeah, you should definitely come over because it's really active community. And uh, I mean, my God, you should have seen what happened to that Crusader Kings two uh, thread. Oh. Yeah, that thing just blew up. It was awesome. Uh, so yeah, create your, create your accounts over at the uh, Idle Thumbs forums and uh, come talk strategy games with us. Uh, but that does it for this week. Uh, be sure to try and get your Sins Rebellion key. And thanks for listening. Uh, say good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>